Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Medical School HQ Podcast, session number 35. Hello and welcome back to another session of the Medical School HQ Podcast. I am your host, Ryan Gray, back with you. We are the podcast about medical school taking you through the pre-med process, medical school, and even through residency. We're here to take your knowledge of becoming a physician to the next level. Today, for you guys listening, I have our first repeat guest. and. He is well worth the repeat. I think you guys can learn a lot more from him. And before I introduce him, I want to give a shout out to two more five-star ratings and reviews that were left in iTunes. And I just want to say thank you to those two people. The first one is Jazz489. She or he is starting medical school in less than a month. Congratulations to you, Jazz489. And they, he or she is saying that listening to these at work really helps them feel more prepared. So that's awesome. Thank you, Jazz489, for that five-star rating. The other one is from my new friend, JT Daily 123 I just actually got off the phone with her, and she had some questions for me. I had some questions for her. And she left a five-star rating and the review title is from an artist turned pre-med saying this podcast is amazing. She's currently a post-bac out at, at UCLA. So she's just starting her pre-med journey. So all the best to Jessica. Thank you for that five-star rating. And I hope you're enjoying that traffic on the 405. If you are enjoying what you're listening to and you want a shout out from me or if you like if you would like to be generous and and help the podcast be a little bit more visible on iTunes, you can do that. You can go to medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes and leave us a rating and hopefully a review. Five stars would be awesome if you think we deserve it. Leave us some feedback there if you want as well. A couple other ways to leave feedback for us 
any suggestions for content, any suggestions for guests, let us know. There's a couple different ways to do that. You can tweet us at Medical School HQ. You can shoot us an email, feedback at medicalschoolhq.net. Or you can also, uh, along those email lines, you can email me directly, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net, or email Allison directly, allison at medicalschoolhq.net. The other way to get a hold of us and leave a comment specifically on this episode is at our show notes. And you can always get the show notes at the session number. So today's session number is 35. So if you go to medicalschoolhq.net slash session 35, you can leave comments directly on the show notes here. If you want to leave a comment or a question for our guests, then you can do that and I'll make sure that he... Uh, reads that and, and responds uh, as best he can. One other quick thing before we get started, I want to mention that a day from when we're releasing this, Thursday, July 25th at 8 o'clock Eastern Time, Allison and I are having a free webinar. And we're going to be talking about some of the biggest mistakes that we made as pre-meds. It's going to be a, a short presentation, and then we're going to have lots of time for some, some Q&A afterwards. So if you're free on July 25th, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, we hope you join us. Go to medicalschoolhq.net slash webinar, and uh, it'll take you there to register. So today, I'll, I'll introduce our guest. We have Dr. Politis back. And if you remember, Dr. Politis was a, our guest back in session 23. So you can find that medicalschoolhq.net slash session 23. And he was really excited to come back. He really wanted to talk about how to fix starting off poorly as a pre-med. What the, the, thr- the thought processes should be. and and really how to go about fixing a, a poor GPA or thinking about that bad MCAT score, thinking about maybe opportunities you've missed as for volunteering or shadowing, clinical experience. And we went in-depth. I, I tried to lay out some scenarios so that maybe you, the listener, could kind of throw yourself into one of those scenarios of maybe your GPA's not quite where you want it. Maybe your MCAT score isn't quite where you want it. And I have Dr. Politis kind of give some feedback on what he would tell a student in similar situations. And he talks about some red flags that he typically sees on applications and and what to avoid. The best story you'll have to listen to is the story of some of the worst AMCAS application photos that are submitted. And and if you don't know, when you submit your application, you submit a photo with that. So the school knows what you look like. And he he goes and tells us a a couple horror stories of images that he's seen reviewing AMCAS applications. So if you don't remember, Dr. Politis is kind of the the Bon Jovi, uh, Justin Bieber of pre-med advisors down at Washington University in St. Louis. He, he's kind of the god down there. And 
I, I say that because he's not only a pre-med advisor at Washington University in St. Louis, which is one of the best pre-med schools around. He's also an associate professor of emergency medicine at Washington University School of Medicine. He's also on the admissions committee at Washington University School of Medicine. He's also the course master for the practice of medicine for first and third year medical students. He also runs the pre-med course at Washington University called MedPrep, which is an awesome pre-med uh, course for students that are that are thinking about going into medical school. And about 90% of all pre-med students at, at Washington University in St. Louis actually take MedPrep. So Dr. Politis knows what he's talking about. So hopefully you, the listener, gain a lot more knowledge out of today's episode and if you like it, come let us know. Let's jump into it. I start by talking to Dr. Politis about kind of his start to medicine. We didn't talk about it last time, so I asked him how he got into medicine and his path. So I started out, uh, like many people, started out pre-med, um, and I was in probably my late part part of my first year where I didn't start out college that great. I came in from college doing very well in high school. I was first in my class, and and I think I underestimated the level of of difficulty and the challenges of being a pre-med student. Didn't have a whole lot of direction. Uh, joined a fraternity, enjoyed college a lot, and didn't have a great start to college. And my dad actually uh, was the president of a steel business, and I was thinking I – you know, could go in and and go that route, work work for him, and and possibly take the company over down the road. And so that became a little bit more of a temptation, I think, as I went along into uh, my sophomore year in college. And so I switched into business in my junior year, and I was probably in uh, business school for about six months before I realized I think I would be bored doing this. And so I decided to go ahead and finish out my degree, graduate. And uh, and then I almost immediately went went into a post back program and decided to go ahead and finish out the courses I hadn't taken yet. I retook uh, several courses and uh, just really started getting focused. And um, and then everything worked out well. Okay, so so you're a student who started off poorly, and that's kind of the the heart of the topic today. When did you find out? along the path that you go, oh, crap, my GPA is not strong enough, or, or what, what was that trigger for you that, that told you to just switch into business? Well, you know, I think there is this uh, misconception among all pre-med students that if they, uh, you know, have a poor grade in any course, it's all over. I've had many students that have come to me that that got a C in a course and they they feel like it's the end of the world and it's it's all over at that point and really that isn't the case uh, that isn't even the case for students who who get accepted to really top notch medical schools uh, but that was kind of the um, prevailing theory at the time even back when I applied to medical school which was you know over twenty years ago when medical school wasn't nearly as competitive as as it is today that was kind of how people thought and I remember. I was, uh, I had finished college and I, I had a brief period of time uh, before I went and decided to go ahead and do a post program where I, I ran into an emergency physician who um, 
had actually come to school a few years after he graduated from college, and and I don't think he started out college um, as strongly uh, as he could have. And he said, no, you know, if you really want to do this, you should just go back and, and um, you know, keep moving forward. And uh, I really realized that uh, that's an important thing. You know, medicine is a field where not everything is going to go your way all the time. You have to be somebody who, who you know, stays steadfast and doesn't give up. And I think that if you if you start out in medicine and you don't do quite as well as you are pre-med, I should say, and don't do as quite as well as you want, you just have to ask yourself, how badly do I want this? And what do I need to do to really focus and, and do well? There are a lot of things that, that um, contribute to a student not doing well early in college. And I think uh, it's important that, you know, schools give the guidance they need to give to students uh, early on so they make sure they they do stay focused yeah there's there there are a lot of things that Budweiser Miller Lite yes <laughs> no but I, I think that's a, a common uh, as you said you you have a lot of students and and you're now in an admissions kind of role at Wash U so so you have students coming to you and you also were part of the FlexMed program at, at the undergrad mm-hmm. so Students come to you and and are are frantic and I I got a C I got a D what do I do should I give up my hope what do you what do you say to them at that point? Well, I think first of all, uh, you know, you have to look at you know where are their strengths, where are their weaknesses, and you have to look at their overall academic performance. Uh, some students will come and they have you know uh, one you know blip in their record. And it's simple. It's as simple as telling them just to keep moving forward and continue to try to do as well as you can. Others may have started out and did very poorly in the first year, year and a half. And then uh, then you have to have a different plan. And that's when you really have to have a, an organized, thoughtful post post back plan for them. OK, so it's more along the lines. And I've, I, I gave a talk recently about a month ago and. I talked about correcting course, uh, constantly monitoring where you are and correcting course as needed. So for somebody that starts off undergrad and and maybe tackles a little bit too much all at once, they get a C in a course. I, I think the typical uh, it, psychology has us kind of go, oh, that's okay, I'll, I'll, I'll just keep pushing and fighting and I'll do better. But would you recommend for them to go seek help immediately to say, hey, what should I do right now instead of waiting another year when they get another C and another C? Absolutely. I, I think if you, um, because oftentimes what students do is they don't know what resources are available for them to do well. And I recommend to all freshmen coming into college uh, for you to make use of every re- resource that's available to you, even though you think you may not need it. So utilize the tutoring services that are available. You know, when you go to a tutor, oftentimes these are students who did well in the courses that you're taking, uh, and they kind of know the tricks of the trade in terms of of what you need to do to prepare well, uh, to do well in that course. And um, I think that if you have a pre-health advising system at your school where you have pre-health advisors that are very involved, you can really get good guidance and a good plan. You know, in general, when you talk about a student uh, pulling a C, at Washington University, we 
we don't recommend that a student simply retake a course if they get a C, uh, but really to uh, to move forward and do better in a, in a higher level course within the same discipline. The only time I've recommended that a student retake a course is if they didn't learn the fundamentals well enough that they're going to be able to do well in the subsequent course. And we've talked about this before, uh, how, you know, you, you have to average your, your grades when you're applying to medical school through allopathic medical schools, your MCAS application, you're, you're going to have to list both grades. So it doesn't necessarily make that much sense uh, to simply retake a lot of courses. Now, you'll get different opinions depending on who you talk to. There are some admission deans who would recommend that you do that. But ultimately, uh, the key is how well do you know the information? How well did you learn what you need to learn? And how are you doing overall? From from a admissions committee standpoint, and I know you can kind of only speak for you, but if you if you could theorize what an adcom is looking at or when they recommend retaking a course are they are they looking at boosting your gpa or are they actually looking at whether or not you know the material well again when you say admissions committee so you know technically we don't recommend anything to to the student the admissions committee you know i'm talking more from the the pre-health advising side uh the reason why uh, I just don't feel it's it's necessary to do that is because uh, you you really need to demonstrate that you can can take on a challenge and that you've learned the material and simply trying to to boost the GPA in and of itself isn't isn't the only thing you need to demonstrate. If you demonstrate that you okay maybe you didn't do as well in general chemistry in the first semester, uh, but you you got a little bit more focused. You took available of all the resources and, and you did very well in the second semester. I think that really negates that performance um, uh, in, the, in the first semester. And, it, and it's really an individual thing for, you know, for every student. But overall, it's, um, you know, you do have to have a, a fairly good science GPA and overall GPA nowadays to get into medical school. And uh, if you really find that you're you haven't done well in the first year or two. You may be looking at at a more extensive plan of of taking uh, one or two years in, as a postback uh, to repair that. Okay. From from a pre med advisor side, when a student comes to you and and is doing poorly in their their first semester, their first year, what is typically the culprit behind that? Is there do you see a common theme? I think there's a few things. Um, I think, number one, students tend to, uh, depending on the school they're at, but I know the students that I've worked with sometimes tend to overextend themselves early on in college. They, they come in and they have so many opportunities available to them and they you know, have so much freedom that they get engaged in so many different things before they really understand how challenging the coursework is going to be. And so my recommendation is in that first six months of college, you should really be a bookworm. And, and honestly, as a pre-med student, you're, you're going to be somewhat of a bookworm anyway. But limit what you do in that first six months to, to one activity outside of, of class time. Uh, it's not necessary for you to get involved in three things that are really pulling your time away. Your time should really be devoted to, to figuring out how difficult your classes are how difficult the exams are. And um, I think that's probably the, 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 the number one thing is the underestimation of how 
difficult the, the coursework and or the exams will be. So uh, I think that's number one. And number two is, you know, you have a lot of students, you know, at Washington University, we have, you know, our students come in, they're the top, top in their class uh, in high school. Uh, you know, a student may not feel they need all the resources that are out there uh, that are available to them. So if they don't start out real well, it could be because they really never thought that they would, they would need that. So I recommend that everybody take advantage of, of the help that they, they can get uh, early on to really make sure they understand uh, the content well. Yeah, I think you just hit the nail on the head there is, is typically uh, most students coming into college knowing they want to be pre-med they're, they're going to be the ones that in high school were excelling in high school. I, I, right. I, I'm, not get, I'm not assuming, maybe there's a few out there that are, are poor students in high school that start college and go, all right, now I'm going to turn it on and be pre-med. Right. So, so I, I think you, you have maybe just a little bit of overconfidence coming in, going, oh, it's just four more years of school. Right. But it's just totally different because it's, it's not nearly as structured and you have more freedom. and That's exactly right. Okay. And I and I think, you know, if if you just start out school slowly and just get the lay of the land and ease into it, I think that's the best way for success. Because you know, students that start out poorly when they they get when they figure it out, when they figure out what they they need to do, they can turn it all around. They can turn it all around in a semester or two uh, just by by really honing in on what, what the issue is. For some students, it may be inadequate uh, time devoted to the subject because they're so overextended. For other students, it might be that they, they aren't taking advantage of all the, all the resources that are there. Uh, that's, that's usually the, the majority of the case, cases, I think. Okay. So what about a student that is two years in, has finished their, their sophomore year, and is walking that that line of about a, a 3.0 GPA. Mm-hmm. It, they haven't taken the MCAT yet, obviously. They're, maybe they're studying, starting to study for it. Somebody like that, what's a recommendation to them? Do, do you say push forward with the MCAT and, and rock the MCAT because then maybe that'll balance off out the, the lower GPA? Or do you tell them, let's slow down and, and take a, mm-hmm. a look at it? I think I think number one, what they need to do is have a very clear understanding of where they are going to be at the time that they file their application. So what I would tell a student is you need to sit down and you need to extrapolate what your science and total GPA are going to be at the time over the course of the of the next year uh, prior to applying and see if that's realistic. If a student says, well, through all my courses, I think I can maybe get my science GPA up to a, a 3.1 uh, then we really have to think about what does the rest of his application, his or her application look like. I think, um, you know, when a student applies, I'm not, a, I'm not a fan at all of just throwing in an application and seeing what happens. I think that's a mistake. Uh, sometimes that advice, honestly, comes from, comes from parents uh, because, of, you know, parents say, you know, believe in yourself. We believe in you. I think you can do it. But they don't necessarily, some may not understand how the application process actually works. And it may sound like an obvious statement to say, well, just just go ahead and, you know, apply when your application is the best. Well, of course. But what does that really mean? It means that if you have some areas of weakness that you really need to correct, it takes time. And I can explain why, but I think that 
putting in an application only to refile another application the next year, especially when you didn't give yourself time to improve the second application, really uh, makes it increasingly more difficult for a student to get accepted. So I do think it's better to maybe slow down. I think you need to know all the information before you file an application, know where you're going to be. And if a student comes and says, well, in, an, in another year, I'm only going to be at a 3.0 science, then I would say, okay, you're probably looking at at least a gap year. And if that's the case, you have to figure out when you're going to take your MCAT. And more importantly, are you ready to take your MCAT? You know, do you, do you feel like you know the material well enough uh, to, to take the MCAT? So if a student really has to prepare or, or, or kind of rectify a, a poor record, uh, sometimes you're looking at a two-year plan. I've even had some students that really need to, needed to improve. And I actually told them, honestly, if you want to do this, I think you can, but you're looking at possibly three years. And I'll tell you why, not that you're in school for another three years, but that you're going to be looking at two additional post-back years of, of serious coursework followed by a third year of doing something while you're in the application process. Because remember, as you uh, when you're at the end of four years, you, you have a large number of credits. And to really move your, your GPA up, um, you know, you have so many courses in that denominator. You really have to do some work to, to move that GPA up. It's not going to come up that easily. And if a student has a lot of work to do, they're not going to be able to fix it in one semester. And it doesn't make sense if you're taking a post-back year to be at applying in the same year that you're taking that course if you have a lot of work to do to improve your record because the schools won't even have your, your grades at that point. You know, school uh, admissions is done at a roll, on a rolling basis at, at many schools, at most schools. And, uh, and you don't want your application reviewed in, in October when your grades don't even come until late December and you haven't even, haven't even improved anything. So you may need that entire, you know, extra year. Now, uh, a two full a three year plan is is usually for somebody who who uh, really is is coming into medicine not having ever thought about being a pre uh, a medical uh, being a physician you know somebody who comes in who needs, truly needs a two a full two year uh, plan to take all the courses they need to take uh, and then make their application they're kind of have to they kind of have to reinvent themselves because they're you know they may have started out you know being a business student and didn't have any prerequisite courses at all. And they have to demonstrate over time why it is that medicine's what they want to do. So that involves taking time to shadow and, and, you know, get involved in the hospital and doing all those other things that make a really well-balanced application. Yeah. I, I want to hit on a couple things that you just talked about. When, mm-hmm. when you're talking about doing a post-bac to increase your GPA, with the AMCAS application for, for allopathic schools, post-bac is lumped in with undergrad grades, correct? Yes. It's, it, it will be listed separately. Admissions committees will see the grade point average during the post-bac period separately, but it will, it will all go into that cumulative undergraduate GPA. That's right. Okay. Along those lines, what is your recommendation or, or is there ever a recommendation to do a master's program instead of a post-bac? Mm-hmm. Well, it, it, a couple things. Uh, first, uh, for you to really get the, in terms of admissions, if you're trying to, to improve your qualifications for admissions to medical school, 
getting a, a master's degree really is only going to help you if you have the, the undergraduate GPA that's, that's strong enough to kind of put you in the ballpark. Uh, for example, we, you know, if you were, if you were a student that was, uh, had a 2.9 science GPA and you decided you were going to go ahead and get a, a master's degree, that probably wouldn't be the best way to do it. Uh, I would say that you would need to get that science GPA up to at least, um, you know, the range that I, I try to target students is getting to the, you know, three, two, three, three range. And then if you have a master's degree on top of it, then that becomes an added qualification. But a lot of these targeted master's programs won't take you uh, with a GPA that low because they know that there's not going to be much of a additional effect of having a master's degree if you don't if you don't correct that first. So I think that's that's an important thing to do. Uh, I years ago there was a student who who um, came to me after he had uh, went, went and uh, obtained a master's degree in biology, but his science GPA in his undergrad was was below a three, and he uh, applied to medical school and didn't get in. And the tough thing was is that what I would have advised had he come to me before he did that would be to work on the on the on the grade point average first and get that as as uh, strong as possible before considering a master's uh, where a master's will help is really that student who's in that borderline low end range of a science GPA of around a three one three two if they have a well balanced application elsewhere then I think the master's degree could help and these these programs you know are very uh straightforward about the fact that that they know students that are coming to their program are doing so to improve their qualifications for application to med school. Okay. Now the con against that though is they're very expensive. These these programs are not cheap and so uh students will be spending quite a bit of of money uh to get into these programs. So it really when you get to when you're a student who has a science GPA in the low 3s you really are kind of um and you want to improve your overall, you know, uh, record, you have a choice you have to make. And that can be, that can be a little tricky when you're in that area between a three, two-ish, whether or not to, to go ahead and do more, more post-bac courses to improve your science grade point or go ahead and do a master's. Okay, so, so on the topic of money, if somebody wants to do a, a quote-unquote do-it-yourself post-bac, Mm-hmm. And maybe take some courses at the local community college because now they're maybe we're talking somebody that's out of school already. They they applied, didn't get in the first time. They they know they need to bump up their GPA, yeah. and they're going to take some night courses at the local community college. Does does that weigh into their application, or is it still if they get a good grade and their GPA goes up, then that's that's good. Well, number one, I, I would recommend that a student who's going back takes whatever post-bac courses they take uh, at a full four-year university. I wouldn't recommend taking them at a community college only because of the fact that you um, – there's two things. Number one, uh, you want to demonstrate that you can handle the coursework for medical school. So going to a school that's a little bit more rigorous I think will help. As long as it's a four-year university, I think that's the way to go. Number two – is I think it's important for students to take a full course load. Uh, to take one or two courses uh, at a time is not going to be enough to really demonstrate to a committee that you can handle the work. 
So you really have to go in with this attitude that it's going to be a serious, it's going to be like a job. You're going to go in and take a full, full course load. So, you know, if a student wants to go ahead and create their own kind of post-bac process as opposed to going through a full program, that's up to them. I do think that the two-year structured programs are are better because they're structured and you get advising along the way and and you have it you have uh, advisors that are helping you uh, look at your overall and entire application and structuring the right courses for you to take. Uh, but if you don't do that, you just I think you have to do it at a four-year college. You have to take it seriously. Um, the one thing you don't want to uh, do when you, when you apply to medical school is give the impression that you're really not taking this seriously. And if you're doing it by kind of a, a mix of a few courses here and a few courses there, uh, that's not going to be the best thing. Okay. Yeah. We've, I think we've heard that a lot as far as demonstrating the ability to handle the rigors. I, I don't think, I don't think we're saying it's impossible to do the community college route. Cause I've, I've known people that have done it, but yeah. it, you have, uh, more explaining to do maybe. Well, and the thing is, is you just have to look at this, uh, you know, right now about 45% of people who are applying to medical school are getting in. I mean, it's a competitive process. And so, uh, you're going to have people that are going to be, you know, um, you know, at, at some, some, you know, good schools that are going to be applying. I think you just need to, you need to just kind of do what you can do to be, uh, you know, as competitive as applicant as you can. And uh, it's the same thing if I have a student that says, well, can I take a, a course in the summer, uh, a prereq? I said, okay, that's fine if you take maybe maybe one at the max, two prerequisite courses away at the summer. If, you, you know, if you're not in St. Louis and you want to you know, take organic chemistry at, you know, at home, I, I tell them do it at a four-year school. But also don't do all your prerequisites uh, away. You, want, you don't want to look as if you're avoiding all your coursework at your home school. The other thing is keep it simple. Don't be taking your prerequisite uh, courses outside the country. It just makes it more complicated. You know, uh, keep that simple when it comes to, you know, your, your main courses. Yeah. Okay. We had mentioned you, you had talked about just throwing in the application to, to see what happens. With the, the thought of, well, if I don't get in, no big deal. I'll fix whatever I need to fix and reapply. How does that look from from an admissions committee standpoint and as your knowledge of, as a pre-med advisor, how does that look being a reapplicant? I don't think, uh, I mean, there's a good proportion of students who, who get into medical school on their second application. I was one of them. Right. And, and I don't think there's, there's no, there's no shame in that. Uh, the thing is though, is I'll give you a scenario. Say you apply to uh, 10 schools that you uh, you're, you feel that you're competitive for, you know, kind of mid what you would consider kind of mid-range schools. And you applied when you, you really sh- had some things you, you probably should address. Say you had a low MCAT and a borderline GPA and you thought, well, I'm just going to do, uh, do what I can and just see what happens. And then you don't get in. Well, then what you're faced with is the next year that you apply, when you apply to that school, if they offer you another interview, what that, what that admissions person is going to do is open up both applications. They're going, to, they're going to look at last year's application and compare it with the current application, and they're going to look at it and say, okay, what's different? 
And if there isn't a whole lot different about the application, um, there's no real reason why there's going to be much of a, a different result. Now, where there is is when there's a huge difference, say, for example, in an MCAT score. If someone's, you know, I've seen swings in MCAT scores, uh, honestly, of nine points. I, you know, I've interviewed people that, that had a 29 on the MCAT, uh, one girl who had a 29, a 31, and then a 37. You know, well, that, that's a big difference between that. And so there, that, that one year could make a difference. But you're probably not going to be improving your application much if you if you send in an application with a science GPA of a 2.9 and then you didn't get in, you're going to apply the next year. Uh, because I do think that it honestly, uh, you know, there's – I don't have any data to prove this, but I think it – you know, an admissions person may be – subconsciously negatively influenced a little bit by the fact that, okay, the person didn't get in the first time and they, they may, you know, scrutinize the second application a little bit closer. And for that reason, why did you put in that first application? You, you, you took a year anyway. So was that the best use of that year? Instead, I would say, slow it down and really take an honest look at what you need to do to improve your application and then go about doing that. And if you're taking a gap year, don't be spending it on something that does not improve your qualifications. So don't be doing a year of research if, if the work should be going towards your GPA. Uh, if, you know, don't be going abroad if your main issue is your MCAT. You know, focus on those things that you need to do. Uh, I think that's, that's really key. Okay, so just a, a clarification or maybe just a, a gee whiz fact for, for students listening. When... when schools get the AMCAS application downloaded and somebody is a reapplicant. is there a big a big red mark on their file no it's, no, it's just we, another we, thing that no says, we, we we just simply know that the, the students applied to us before that's all it's just that you know the student uh, had had you know uh had applied the year before and um and we'll have all the information regarding you know um how they how they did in terms of the application cycle i mean Sometimes I've seen seen students who are excellent applicants, but they applied so late in the year that that um, you know most of our spots were yeah. were filled. And uh, had they applied earlier, that's why I keep harping on that. I mean, that's such an important thing. If they had they applied early, that same application would have would have been successful. And uh, but you know, I I just think it's important to to make sure that um, you just don't. You just don't see what happens. I just don't think that's a great thing to do. So if you're going to be taking a post back, really think about, okay, is one year going to be enough? So you you will be able to include all the grades from your senior year in college and then one post back year. So you do have a little bit there. Uh, maybe if you took two years, you're going to have a full full year of the post back classes plus the senior year. That may be all that you need. But if you're truly somebody who needs to do a huge repair, you you uh, you may need to to take more time than that, and that's totally individual on a you know on an individual basis. Yeah, I heard a something recently from a, I think it was an NIH professor that was talking to pre med students, and it kind of put it into perspective. And I've talked to a couple other people since then, and they go, "Okay, now that makes a lot more sense about getting applications in earlier." Right. And it's it's probably not true or not, or maybe it is, but it just it, it makes sense. He said if if you don't get your application in on time, and, and I think he was talking like July, period. Mm-hmm. If if you don't get it in on time, you're already telling medical schools that you don't know how to plan and prepare. Right. Because the application opens in June, so you have a, a whole month 
to right. to fill it out, get it all ready. The instructions are available for you to read, and and I didn't apply this year. I read all ninety pages of that AMCAS application just so I would know telling people right. uh, what to expect, and and so it's it, it kind of put it in perspective. Go, that kind of makes sense. Oh, it does. You know, the application process can tell you a lot about the applicant itself, and uh, everything from the kind of picture they submit on their application to uh, whether or not they have spelling errors in their application, uh, whether the application looks like it was put together in a hurry. I had a student that came to me when she was in her sophomore year and said, well, what if I apply late? And I said, why are you asking me that question? Don't apply late. I said, you're a sophomore. Are you planning on applying late? I mean, just a, that was just the strangest question. I, I thought, you know, the, the thing is, is you're getting all the information now on what you need to do to be successful so your plan should be to have all your ducks in a row, so you, you won't be applying late. So yeah, it, you I think I think you I think the problem is that so, so many students are so um, you know they they want to just be perfect and they just can't hit that send button, so they just kind of delay it and delay it and delay it. I think that's what what ends up happening for most of them. Yeah, constantly rereading, rechecking, right, making sure that the uh, program didn't mess up something. Right. You just mentioned. Uh, an image on an application. What can you share the worst image that you've seen on an application? Uh, picture wise. Um, yeah. let's see, uh, I had one applicant who applied without his shirt on, uh, that applied. He was, um, it was, uh, yeah, it was just kind of laying, laying in the grass. Um, had you know it's it's just a very bizarre bizarre picture um some students will apply uh believe it or not um i've had some that apply in a group photo where there's three people in the picture and i you know i just made the assumption the person was in the middle was the one who was applying uh and then there's also been kind of full body shots from a hundred yards out uh where you can't even see the person i've, I've had those kind of applicants oh those kind of pictures too so you know this is you know, really, it's the most important picture for an application you've ever had in your life to this point. So the, what I tell people is just, just you know, use some common sense. You don't, you don't need to be applying in a, in a tuxedo, but, you know, it probably would look good if you, if you had a nice picture done that, you know, was mid-chest level up where you're smiling and, and, you know, you're wearing a nice shirt and tie and your hair is combed. And, I mean, it sounds, it sounds pretty basic, but... Every now and then you get that student that does it. And the way I look at it is, uh, you know, it, it doesn't show respect for the process, really. And, and that's the thing is, is you really kind of um, you kind of wonder uh, what's going through the as, in terms of judgment when somebody does that. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I'm glad you you shared that with us. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. pretty funny. Yeah. I, I want to bring up one more scenario. It kind of along the lines of getting your application in on time. Mm-hmm. Somebody who I'm, lo- I'm looking at my my calendar over here that has all the dates of the MCAT. Somebody that takes the, a June MCAT a little bit later than maybe is advisable, mm-hmm. and their application's ready to go, ready to submit, and they. They wait till they get their their MCAT score back, and it's it's borderline. Let's say let's say a twenty uh, twenty seven. Okay. And they freak out. They have a great GPA, but they they got a low MCAT. Mm-hmm. And 
What would you recommend to a student like that? To would you recommend submitting the application and putting on that application that they're going to retake the MCAT maybe in August, or should they just hold off on submitting that application and and take a look at why they scored poorly and and maybe wait a year? I think it depends on whether or not there is a clear understanding of why the student did not do as well as he or she could have done. If a student thinks that they could, you know, move their score up by three to four points in the time, uh, in that short period of time uh, between when they got their score and they take their second test, then it might be worth it. But, but really, if, if the student had a preparation problem, if they just didn't prepare right for the, for the test, I'm not sure they're going to have enough time to to change everything in order to to get a better second score, and uh, so unless they had a clear reason for for why they didn't do as well and a clear strategy on how they would do better, I might advise them to go ahead and hold off because uh, you know there's it's better to go ahead and hold off and really fix the problem next year, apply with a great score and apply early, and so you'd actually be applying earlier as well than it is to to reinforce a poor score when it let's say they ignore that advice and go ahead and submit the application and it's marked on the application that they're going to retake the test how mm-hmm. do, what does a school do with that application do they review it then and go okay well if you if you check that box that says i'm going to be uh, taking the mcat a second time most schools are going to hold hold your application for review so you really have to think about the timeline involved. If you're applying uh, or you're going to be taking your MCAT in June, it's going to take 30 days for you to get that score back. And so you're really you're not too, you know, too far behind the eight ball if you're if you're if you're taking it in June. But if you took your your exam for the first time in June, you get your score back and then you didn't like it. And then you decide you're going to take an August MCAT. Now you're starting to get uh, get to be a late applicant in general. Uh, you really ought to try to get your application in within the first six weeks that MCAS allows you to, you know, once it's open, it opens in May, but, but you can hit send in June. So really by July 15th uh, is when I, I tell students, the schools really ought to, ought to have that information, have the information for them to start reviewing your application by, by mid July, at the end of July at the latest, but you don't want to be pushing this off into August, September. Yeah. So, so basically, if, if a student checks that box, they're basically not submitting their application. Is, well, is, is no. that one way of actually looking at it? They're they're submitting it, but well, the, it's gonna. Here's the thing: is it'll it, get verified. It'll get verified, and and the thing is, is you put in an application. So if you decide to withdraw, then schools are going to ask you about that. It's not as if your your applications your applications on hold for review but it's still in the system. So that's another reason. Do you really want, you know, to, to kind of pull the trigger and send in that application before you really know how you're doing on it? I, that, that goes in with that whole, whole, uh, uh, you know, plan of advice of, of waiting until you truly have the best application. And that's, you know, we were uh, talking via email the last couple of days and, and you had said, you know, what is one of some red flags that I see sometimes I think, I think if there's one thing that a student can do is try to make that make it as simple as possible. You know, know the timeline, plan well, make sure you have all your letters of recommendation in 
early. Uh, and, and, and when you're, you're ready to send it, send it and, and make sure it's really complete and, 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 you know, it's a, it's a good solid application. Talk to the right people, talk to your pre-health advisors, uh, well in advance, you know, in your junior year and, and look at your overall, uh, competitiveness, your overall application, and really kind of figure out a plan on, you know, uh, what should I do? I mean, trying to figure out what you're going to do in, in the 11th hour is probably not the smartest thing to do. It, it would be better for you to know six months before you file, file your application whether or not you're going to be submitting an application that, that you feel comfortable with. And if not, then then that's when you're talking about, do I take extra time? Do I do a post-bac? Do I do a, a master's degree? Do I retake the MCAT? But if you, if you have it all together, apply early. I just find that there is no reason at all to be a late applicant. That's probably the, the thing that is, is the most frustrating uh, for me when I advise students who are really good, good applicants is, you know, you, you know about this process, you know, years ahead of time. And, and we tell you that this is so important for you to be an early applicant that um, if, if you don't do that, it, it's as if you're, you're just throwing out one of the major parts of the process that you actually have control over. <laughs> so I, I think I can boil it down to the, <laughs> just for fun, the, the three biggest parts of an application, GPA, MCAT, and submission date. Well, no, not, I didn't. No, I did not say that because this goes into the next uh, question that you you asked me about. Is um, you asked me what um, what is the most common piece missing from an application? And I think you also asked me about uh, red flags that I see. And, and what I'd have to say about that is the most common piece that's missing from an application is any part that makes the application unbalanced. So you can have that great GPA and that great MCAT and apply early. But there's some other part of of the application that that is missing. And to be honest with you, the um, you know the the GPA and MCAT uh, is is just a part of the puzzle. We really want to find people who are passionate about medicine. And the reason why you know I recommend that students do a variety of activities is not so they can just check a box to apply to med school, but to answer for themselves whether or not medicine's the right career for them. Schools want to know that you're, you've, dis, you've, you've figured that out for yourself. Uh, a good example I can use, several years ago, I, I reviewed an application from an engineering student that had a, um, a 3.9 GPA and had a uh, MCAT score of 37 and did quite a bit of research in the field of engineering and didn't do anything, not one thing related to people, related to clinical medicine, related to volunteering, related to he didn't do anything that that made me wonder. I actually wondered why is he applying to medical school because he didn't he didn't do anything that showed that he he investigated it that he he had a passion for it and uh, that that one part of his application is something that he could have really uh, you know filled pretty easily, honestly. And it would, and, and he would enjoy it. I mean, the, the point isn't just what do we want to see? I honestly would be a little bit concerned that he may come into medical school and say, this isn't for me. You know, I didn't really enjoy going to see those patients uh, in the hospital. And um, there's a good example. I mean, he was a great applicant, but uh, he was missing those components that, that we're looking for. 
So I, I, um, I think that has to be a big part of it too. Definitely. Yeah. It, it was kind of a joke generalizing no, I, the GPA. Right, right, right. <laughs> well, that's kind of how students look at it. I yeah. know, I know students think that all we care about is the M, MCAT and the GPA and, um, uh, you know, that, that is an important part of the application. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie about that, but, but I, uh, but the other parts are, are really important too. I explained to a lot of people that, that with so many applications that schools are getting there, there has to be some way of comparing and, and right. it's easy with numbers. Right. So it's, it's just kind of the way it is that it's easy to compare numbers and it's, it's hard to compare shadowing experiences. So. Well, and the thing is, is, you know, that's that, uh, those numbers, they may be the, you know, uh, the reason why we have to have some, some way is that medical school is rigorous and we have to make sure that students can actually handle, uh, the, the workload, uh, of medicine and, uh, you know, and the rigors that go along with that. And so if we, if we have that answered, then the next part is, is, are, are you the right fit for medicine? You know, is medicine the right fit for you? And so it's, um, it is, it's kind of a multi-layered process of, of trying to figure out, you know, who's the best applicant and, and trust me, I mean, there, you know, we, everyone that we interview really is qualified, uh, to come to medical school. You know, we wouldn't have interviewed them if they, if they weren't. Um, so just the fact that you get an interview says something. Yeah. So I think overall what, what we hope to to bring to the you the listeners the fact that you can you can have a couple missteps but it's it's what you do to get back up and get back on course and be willing to delay gratification and be willing to take some time to to make it right after you graduate from school and it might cost a little bit more money and it it's going to uh maybe make you a little bit grayer but if you truly want to be a physician then then that's the steps that you have to take no that's right that's exactly right and you know that the the um the key too is you want to you want to go into medical school with a strong foundation so if you didn't do well in your courses early on then you know you need to build a stronger foundation i i really try to be a purist in in the advice that i give as to why students do the things that they do. I, I know that a lot of applicants probably look at applying to medical school like it's a game. But, you know, you're going to come out of the other end having this incredible responsibility of taking care of people. So you want to make sure that you're, uh, you're up to that task. And so if you didn't do well in your preparation, maybe because you didn't study enough or, you, you, you know, you weren't focused, well, then repair that. But build that foundation that you need to, to come into medical school and, and learn the information. And, you know, there's so many steps along the way that you, you really need to focus, but, but um, you know, and, and the activities you get engaged in, they shouldn't be looked at as, Oh, I've got to do this for medical school. It should be things that you want to do. This is, you know, you're going into a field where you're going to be taking care of people. So hopefully you really enjoy the time that you're spending in the hospital or, you know, in uh, or doing research or whatever it is. 